0: 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read from the New American Standard. Let's look at verses 3 through 6, and then I want to jump forward to chapter 2, verse 19 and following, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, everything he just said in verses 3, 4, and 5, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, it might be 90 years, if you live that long, or a hundred. If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now jump to chapter 2, verse 19. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscious, conscience towards God, a believer bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin, you, you drive 20 miles over the speed limit and get a a uh, speeding ticket. Uh, if you pay that ticket, you don't get credit for that. You blew it, and you deserve to pay the penalty. For what credit is there if when you sin and you're harshly treated and you endure that with patience? That's no big deal. You need to do that. But if when you do what's right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it because of your faith, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And he committed no sin. None of this was his fault. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And yet, while being reviled, Christ did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, God the Father. And... Look how God the Father redemptively used the worst sufferings of Christ. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This morning we are going to conclude this uh, four-week mini-series Phyllis, that we're calling when the world is falling apart, don't panic. In fact, let panic be a signal to you, Blanche, to pray, plan, and persevere with a perspective rooted in faith over your feelings. Okay? And I'd, I'd like to finish this mini today by doing something pretty unique rather than expounding a passage of Scripture. I want to share with you the testimony of two people I feel like are dear friends, even though I've never met them. We're going to look at uh, the testimony of two Christian parents who went through and are still going through every parent's worst nightmare. Their names are Kyle and Jen Porter. And I I think uh, you'll see some amazing grace in their lives and their situation. But uh, before we do that, let's pray we'll be teachable to God's word this morning. And let's pray for those who protect and serve us. And, uh, Zane Britton, would you pray for us in that direction, please? Yeah, we're going to deal some, with some really heavy, heavy stuff today. And so I thought just as a, a counterbalance a little bit, I want to share a couple of crazy, corny, corny jokes. Uh, uh last week ago, Friday, I drove up to Tulsa and, uh, there's a Dollar Tree. You been to Dollar Tree? That's a, that's good shopping, isn't it? And, uh, there's a Dollar Tree about two miles from Jamie's house, so I stopped and got the boys some stuff. And one of them was, uh, jokes about animals for kids. So, uh, just kind of craziness here, but just to kind of, uh, put a little salt or pepper or make sugar on the, on the oats today. Why are giraffes so slow to say they're sorry? It takes them a long time to swallow their pride. What do you call a, what do you call a bear with no socks on? He's barefoot. Yeah, B-A-R-E. What's the only animal smarter than a talking dog? A spelling bee. Uh, what does tick, 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 rough, rough, rough? A watchdog. And finally, uh, what's the fastest way to catch a squirrel? That's three steps, actually. Number one, climb a tree. Number two, be really quiet. Number three, act like a nut. <laughs> yeah. Um, boom. Uh, just a brief review of what we've been seeing in this uh, series. Several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 11, and the psalmist uh, said... Uh, Hey, you know, I've already decided to trust in God. And I know it looks like there's no reason to keep trying and keep believing. Uh, And in fact, his friends are saying, look, the foundations are destroyed. The whole culture's going down the the garbage can. Just run away from your responsibilities and take care of yourself. And the question rhetorically is if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the expected answer, Andrew, is really not very much. But in fact, the psalm says there are things kin can do or Olga can do, or Pam and Krista can do, even in a culture like ours where the foundations are falling apart. The righteous can respond to that by deciding to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord, just pre-deciding, okay? Now, Clay, you had a lot to be happy about yesterday. You not only won your speech competition, but you got to go hiking, right? Beautiful outdoors. But even if you'd finished last place, You need to pre-decide to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. Number two, you need to doubt those who doubt. Doubt those who deny. And you need to be energized by God's person and program. Then the next week we saw Psalm 73. Psalm 73 was all about, hey God, what are you doing? Why is it so often true that good people suffer in this world and bad people seem to be successful and prosper? And that just doesn't seem right. And it's inconsistent with what I'm expecting here. And in fact, the psalmist does this. He goes through a process. He looks around the world and he's depressed because so many bad things happen to good people and so many good things happen to bad people. Then he looks up and beyond the world and he's kind of refreshed and renewed. And then he starts looking forward in faith and he moves from questioning God's goodness to confessing God's greatness. That's a journey a lot of us need to take from time to time. Then last week we looked at a book that's hard to find, Hard to spell, hard to pronounce, and hardly read by Christians anymore. But it's the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And he looks around and says, God, why are not you doing anything? And he says, I am doing something. Well, I don't like what you're going to do. Uh, and God says, well, I'm, I'm going to take care of that as well. And then he goes into the temple of the Lord and gets a new perspective. And his perplexity is turned into prayer and praise. And I'm just going to trust you. And basically, what Habakkuk tells us, and Mike's going to need this sometime, and uh, Andrew's going to need this, and Julie Demerson's going to need this, and more importantly, Pastor Brad's going to need this, uh, we've got to take a big swallow of humility and say, we can't understand everything that God's plan and purpose involves now, but we can understand that he understands. And that's where faith comes in. right? So, I want to conclude, and I thought, how could I conclude this? And, you know, I was going to do a selected study of 1 Peter. That was plan A. I mean, I had this just, I had this, uh, mini-series planned by the middle of December. And then in the middle of December, a website that I know that Mike checks almost every day, and I check every day, and Chad Fisher told me about it years ago, and Jamie, my son, checks every day. There's, there's a website called <laughs> pistolsfiringblog.com, which is an OSU sports uh uh, website that just talks about current events, mainly in basketball and football, but also the other sports. And The guy that kind of runs that, his name is Kyle Porter. And I didn't really know anything about his faith or anything like that, but I did notice that in the middle of December, and every day, sometimes twice a day, he'll have some kind of new information about OSU sports, and then right in the middle of December as we're kind of leading toward, and I'm going to use a bad word here the sugar bowl, uh, as we were kind of building up to the sugar bowl, he just stopped posting stuff for like a week, uh, which kind of really disoriented my world, you know. Uh, and I'm in, down in Texas, and, which is bad enough as it is. but uh, So it was a bad week, you know. And then uh, he started posting again, and he said we had a family emergency. And I, I actually think it was an email from Mike, if I remember, Palovate, who sent me a link that ended up on the pistol firing blog that explained why he had not been posting for a week. And so um, that's who they are. That's his beautiful wife, Jen, and that's Kyle. And I hope I get to meet him sometime this side of heaven. But uh, let me read their testimony of how they applied Habakkuk and Psalm 73 and Psalm 11, uh, even without hearing my marvelous messages on them. Kyle writes, the question people love to ask when you tell them your wife is pregnant is almost universally, what are you having? It's a reasonable question because what you are having, and then he likes parentheses and I do too, a girl, a boy, twins or more, affects the trajectory of your life almost as much as the fact that you're even having a child to begin with. Uh, my wife, Jen, and I like to be surprised by what we're having. It adds a little punch to the birth itself, parenthesis. Not that Jen would agree that births need any extra punch, close parenthesis, period. We already have one boy one girl, so we weren't pulling for one sex or the other this time. Our son and daughter are special to me in different ways. Boys are uninhibited. Girls are unfailingly sweet and equally dramatic. I love them both deeply. I was simply thrilled about finding out which boy or girl we were adding to our family uh, of soon to be five. The closer we got to the due date, the more excited I realized I was. The last thing I wrote in my journal just before our unborn baby died three weeks ago was this, in all caps, I'm getting really excited about baby number three, dot dot dot, really excited. That was on a Monday morning. Two hours later, Jen, his wife, told me that she hadn't felt the baby move all morning. She was 36 weeks pregnant. Our pastor, Matt Chandler, always says, your life can totally change with one phone call, and you're not exempt from this. I've never said that, but I will say that from now on. The problem with that, Kyle says, is that I always thought I was exempt from that. And I thought my friends were too. That was an illusion, of course, and about 100 minutes later, I got a phone call from my wife who said her midwife wanted her to get a sonogram because she couldn't find the baby's heart either. If we're being honest, we didn't need the sonogram. We both already knew. We both knew as we drove to the hospital. We both knew as we put her in a wheelchair and took her to the sonogram machine. The doctor didn't even need to say it, but she did anyway. Two words that changed the rest of your life. No heartbeat. Our friends, family, and church were spectacularly gracious in the days that followed. They were unbelievable. The weight was not ours alone to shoulder, which made the nightmare that unfolded a little easier. These friends bore a part of our burden. I'm not sure how we would have moved forward without them and without their prayer. The Lord sustained us throughout because we certainly did not sustain ourselves. The morning after we got the news, we sat in our car at the hospital with our friend, parenthesis, and labor, who's also a labor and delivery nurse, close parenthesis, Andrea. She's important a little bit later, Andrea. To go talk to the doctor about how to get the baby out. All three of us wept softly as she prayed over us. That day felt like a thousand days compressed into 24 hours. So much of it is blurry, and yet so many moments are etched into my heart. It was the slowest, fastest day I've ever had. And I'm looking at Carolyn, and I'm looking at Carla, and I'm looking at other people who have probably had that experience. It was also the most emotional. Before we left for the hospital early that morning, Jen said, quote, God willing, This is the hardest day we'll ever go through. It's weird. You feel like you've emptied yourself of the pain and emotion, but it just keeps coming. Ouch. Jen was amazing the entire week. I was mostly a disaster, a mess of tears, emotions, and pain. She was calm and confident confident in the Lord, in herself, and even in me. Our marriage may have been pronounced five years ago, but it was welded into my heart during this week. She eventually gave birth to our not-breathing child. The doctor showed me the gender. Uh, We had a girl. We named her Kate Noel. Jen grabbed her from the doctor's hand and said, my baby, my baby, she's beautiful. Stillborns are not unique. That doesn't erase our pain, but it reminds us that many parents have walked this path. One out of every 115 pregnancies ends with a stillborn. I didn't know that stat, but it's scary. And, you know, uh, I hope none of you, uh, take the expected moms on the prayer list for granted. I mean, I pray for those ladies every day because things can happen. Things can happen. It's not automatic. That's a picture of uh, Jen and the baby after she uh, got to hug her. Um, so one out of every 115 pregnancies ends with a child stillborn. And then he says, we don't want to cry out, why us, when this is so common to so many. Instead, we want to say, yes, us. And keep on trusting and obeying the Lord anyway. And, and thank you to those before us who have walked this same path with grace. So the why us that can ruin you, they replace with, yeah, this is part of the God's program for us, and other people have walked it too. So there's nothing special about us. Okay, watch this. This is so ironic. A couple from our church, Ben and Ashley Barr, and I think he used the names so you'd know he's talking about real people, had a son, Thomas, who died in a similar fashion in the exact same hospital room as us one week earlier. Boom. They had literally walked the path we walked and walked it well. We took great hope and such great faithfulness. Jen asked me what my lasting memory of the the day of Kate's birth was. One that sticks out is walking from the delivery room to the hospital waiting room after uh, Kate was born to face our friends, family, family. And kids, I walked out looking for my kids, but found my parents, which seems like a strange quote, but that's uh, you know as a parent. But, uh, uh, but I know what he means. The background was a myriad of people in tears. Uh, we had a girl; I could hardly get the words out, and she's so pretty. We got to introduce Kate to her brother and her sister. That uh, darling little big sister is Hannah, and we got Jude. Homer, we got another Jude there. There's Jude, the brother, uh, spending time with Kate. Uh, we told Hannah and Jude the baby had gone to live with Jesus. Hannah, the little older sister, could not have been prouder. Jude gave some questionable pat pats to Kate as he is prone to do. They loved her as much as they love each other. Of all the griefs we had. The toughest is probably not being able to give them something they had been looking forward to for months. <clears throat> I told my friend Josh, I don't want to protect my kids from difficult things. I don't want them to only know good moments. I, I don't want them to see only our good side, because they'll be mightily disappointment when they leave, disappointed when they leave home, both in us and by how the world actually works. You don't want to shelter your kids from the uh, troubles in life because they're out there and they're going to get hit with them. One of our greatest joys the entire week was sharing these fleeting minutes with our momentary family of five. Jen and I also got to spend uh, a night in the hospital with our new baby. The juxtaposition of desperately needing to sleep and not wanting to waste the minutes you have left before you never see your kid again is a strong one. I slept fitfully. I held Kate close while her mom rested. It was a good time. It was a bittersweet time, knowing we would never physically lay eyes on our daughter again. But in Psalm 139.16, we're told the Lord has numbered all our days. And the psalmist says to the Lord, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Kyle goes on to say, I've received about 11,500 days so far. Kate received only 250. That seems unfair. But the Lord wasn't surprised when she passed away. And we take comfort in that. I asked Andrea, the friend who's the labor and delivery nurse, to come back up to the hospital. I have known Andrea off and on since we were in elementary school. She's a terrific friend. I never thought I'd be texting her as an adult to come help us say goodbye to our baby. Jen wanted to put Kate, the baby, in Andrea's arms. Nobody else. I told Jen her job was done and she had done it well. It was finished. We kissed her face and whispered, See you soon, sweet girl. Driving home from the hospital without without a child is not a trek I would hope anyone else reading this ever has to take. It is brutal. All you want to hear is the sound you've found trying to escape the last few years, a screaming child. We rested for a day and went to the funeral home on Thursday. There are only a couple reasons 30-year-olds walk into funeral homes. None of them are good. We ripped through the minutiae. It was surreal. Picking flowers for our baby's casket. Picking a casket for our baby. My gosh. We chose four white roses representing every member of our family to lay around Kate's casket for the memorial. We picked a, fa- uh, we picked a burial plot. That destroyed me. She would be buried next to Thomas, the little baby who had died the week before. She shared a delivery room with him. Now she shares a resting place with him. Jen, the wife, the mom, found great joy in this. The memorial was on Saturday morning. I read a letter I had written about the week. I didn't think I could get through it. The Lord continued to sustain them. I looked out at our dearest friends and family and tried my best to share what we had learned from the week. Here's part of what I read. Hebrews Hebrews 5.8 reminds us that Jesus learned obedience from suffering. We have felt the weight of that verse this week and testified that it is good. We lost Kate, but we got more of God, and it's a sweet thing. There's no bitterness in us. How could there be? We aren't even promised tomorrow. We're sustained here on earth in the expanse of the universe only by the will of God. We are owed nothing. We are instead grateful To have met Kate, to have shared half a day with her, for Jen to have shared eight months with her, that is a gift. And while Jen wanted Kate to meet her and see her face and feel her embrace, we rejoice she saw Jesus first. I will always remember carrying my child's casket from the hearse to the grave. I shook as I stood in the road 25 yards from a resting place and stared at a casket the size of a wastebasket. I didn't want to move. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to wake up. Eventually, I lowered my six-pound child six feet in the ground with a pair of straps that looked like they should have been corralling boxes in the bed of my truck. I had to get down on my knees and then lay on my chest to reach far enough to release the casket. We buried Kate with some of our favorite things, books, pictures, and drawings from the kids. We wept over the grave and laid four roses on her buried casket. A 19th century hymnist named Horatio Spafford knows the feelings we felt that day. Spafford and his wife lost four daughters when their ship crossing the Atlantic sank. He wrote what might be the most famous hymn of all time. We sang it at the funeral. The first verse crushes. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when things are going good, and when sorrows like sea billows roll. Sea billows. He lost four daughters to sea billows. Whatever my lot now has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. On our way home from the memorial and burial, Jen told me she felt like she'd never worshipped like she did at Kate's memorial. She'd never had this much on the table. In our 30-plus years on earth, we have almost exclusively known great gifts and a rich life. We have tremendous friends, enjoy our work, and delight in our children. For us, our Christianity has come easy. There's been no real suffering. There's been no real pain. There have been few questions. There's been no reason not to trust God. But now there is. Now we have known unimaginable depths. The sorrow that flowed that week is unspeakable. But we can truthfully say the Lord is good in both, if not greater in the sorrow. That was what we tried to point to all week. We do not hope in our children. We do not hope in each other. We do not hope in friends or family or in anything outside the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. That is all, Christ alone. That was a wild reminder of that, one we didn't want, but we desperately needed. Until this, loving the Lord amidst sorrow this deep was only a theory for me. Putting a baby in the ground makes it real, and not just for us. Our church mourned deeply with us, which was a rich reminder, which was as rich a reminder as I've ever had of God's purpose for having a deep community within your local church. Would I choose this path? Never. Would I choose any part of it for myself or anyone I've ever met? No. But it is ultimately good for me and for my family, and that's a difficult thing to admit. Uh, This is why I say we lost a child and gained everything. Christ is everything, or he's nothing. We lost so much, but gained so much more. We got so much more of the Lord than we ever had before. We got more of the Lord than I knew was possible for a human to get. It's hard to describe what I mean when I say we got more of God. This is an ambiguous thing, I realize. We all saw it on each other's faces, though. The Lord was near. We all shared a lot of joy and peace that week that wasn't man-made. It was a deeply spiritual week, probably the most spiritual of our lives. Life that, we, life that week was so thick and so rich that it barely resembled all the other weeks I've experienced. And the goodness in all of this, and a sign of God's grace to us, is that the only constant we knew that week is that God is still good and His grace and love rolls deeper than we will ever know. He is beyond sufficient. He is good to give us more of Himself no matter the circumstance. Jen often reminds me that our faith must not waver because God didn't change. He didn't waver. The only thing that changed is how much of Him we carry with us. We lost sweet Kate, but we got so much more of the Lord. Not in spite of, but because of her. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. Losing a child is every parent's deepest nightmare. I honestly can't off the top of my head think of anything worse in terms of sheer traumatic force applied to two married adults. But we gained even more than we lost. And this is a bittersweet reality. One too complex for me to understand in full. Suffering is one of the great instruments in God's hands to continue to reveal to us our dependence on Him and our hope in Him. God is good to give us the greatest gift He can give us, which is more of Himself. So now we try to move on, but we move on as vastly different people than we were before. All of us, not just me and Jen, our friends, our families, and everyone who was involved. We've been grateful for that, that not only could our burden be divvied up, but that the Lord would mature us and those around us because of this. My friend Josh sat with us in the delivery room a few hours after Kate was born and confessed amid many tears that he had never longed for heaven like he had on that day. I've always found heaven to be a strange thing, or rather my relationship with heaven. It seems like a place we should long for more than we do because of how twisted and disturbing the planet we live on now is. And yet, in italics, I like it here. (laughs) I really do. C.S. Lewis would say, I prefer mud pies to real pies. That's not something I'm proud of. It's also something I'm hopeful will continue to change as I accept the reality that sweet Kate is there and not here. And it's already started. Heaven is more at the forefront of my life because of that week. We have talked about it more. It's a place I think about. It's a place I want to be. Not just to see the girl I lost, although that will be a good thing, but it is a pale and pathetic thing compared to seeing in full the God who willingly chose that which I would never dream of choosing. I want to meet my daughter, yes, but what I really long for is to meet the father who gave his son. Boom. Look at, uh, let me read to you just for brevity. Uh, I've been saying that's the greatest thing I've ever read on the death of a child. Uh, I'd say it's number two. Here's number one. Just listen. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David fasted and went in and laid on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not get up, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, this goes on for a week, it came to pass the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said to themselves, Indeed, well, the child was alive. We spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? He might kill himself. He was so anguished, praying that the child might be uh, healed. Now the child is dead. They think David will kill himself. But David's smart. He looks over his shoulder. When David saw his servants were whispering... David perceived the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground. What's he going to do? Washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. You know, David does some really slimy stuff. But his heart is welded to Yahweh. You know. uh, then he went to his own house. David went back to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him. And he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for a week. While the child was still alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said... Who can tell? Maybe the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to see him, but he will not return to me. You know, uh, I hope you'll take a couple of things away from this series. Uh, we just don't have enough information to legitimately second guess God. Uh we can't be his supervisor when we're supposed to be his servant. We can't be his critic when we're supposed to just embrace him as his child. Uh when you sense a need to panic, pray, plan, persevere with a perspective based on faith in facts about who God is, as opposed to letting your emotions totally overpower you. I haven't said much about the planning part. Uh there's lots of ways different people come up with their plans and stuff. Uh my wife has a to-do list, uh, and uh, I have a to-do list, too, and I'm very proud at the end of the day if I can mark off some of my stuff on my to-do list, but one thing that's different between Debbie's to-do list and mine, is Dennis, Debbie's to-do list goes, Debbie's to-do list. She just writes it out, and then she writes her list. I would never put Brad's to-do list. I know it's a to-do list. It would be a waste of time to write that above my to-do list. I know what it is. But So, I, so you know, maybe you use to-do list or whatever you do. But talking about planning, when you read about the reconstruction uh, of the walls around Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time, when they're surrounded by terrorists, uh, 24-7, uh, here's what they do. Rather than panic, they pray, prayed, planned, and persevered. Uh, it says, rather than panic, the text says, we prayed to God, dot, dot, dot. Then what does it say? And we set a guard 24-7. Before you go on that next big trip, in fact, th- that next trip may be church to home or hopefully church to the restaurant. You, you might shoot up a prayer for safety on the road and then buckle your seatbelt, Amanda, okay? You don't do one or the other, you do both. And so, you know, uh, I, I do think that great pain teaches us our dependence on God and it uh, makes us yearn for what we ought to be looking forward to anyway an eternity for us as believers that excludes pain and death and tornadoes and cancer and murders and abortion and all that stuff. Uh, let me just say as I close, what could possibly be said or done to put Kyle and Jen's pain and, and loss in context? I would say maybe that. God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. If you're listening to this on audio, we've got a silhouette of the cross. And I say that, too, right? We always emphasize the gospel is the good news that because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. But he's not dead anymore because a dead Savior can't give you eternal life, but the resurrected one is the only one who can. So I would say uh, you got no shot to get through deep suffering if you've not trusted Jesus Christ, and if you have, uh, since you've trusted Him for eternity, let that help you put your suffering in a, uh, a, a uh, concept that hopefully will allow you by God's grace to, to put it at His care even as you grieve and, and suffer. There are a lot of, uh, <clears throat> you know, I read over that, um, Testimony enough that I didn't break down the first three times I kind of broke down because I, I think of Cooper or something happening to Cooper or, or Olive or something like that but um, and I didn't want to uh, you know break down and boohoo in front of you I wanted you to get the full support impact of that but yeah I, I think uh, that, that testimony once I read that I said man I got to use that in a series somehow and I, I hope that will be helpful to you but uh uh, when you're tempted to think God doesn't care, think about what He's already done. And because of that, if you trust Him as Savior, you've got eternity uh, with uh, people like uh, Jen and Kate to look forward to. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who's not in the depth of their heart. said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, man. I've broken the rules. I've broken your rules. I've broken my own standards at my worst. And I realize you're holy and perfect and you're not going to let sin enter into your kingdom, into your domain. So I I need help. I can't save myself by being more religious. Uh, I'm guilty and I need a Savior and I believe you are my Savior. I believe you came and died for my sins to pay my debt. You came back alive again. Even though they can't do that in a laboratory, I believe that really happened. And Lord Jesus, I trust you and you alone for my salvation. Uh, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Uh, For the rest of us, Father, uh, draw us closer to yourself, even in the midst of our pain and our losses, uh, because you've promised us an eternity when you fix this broken world and replace it with something that won't allow any of that anymore. So make heaven even more uh, exciting to us in all its phases, uh, in part because we realize that'll be an eternity that won't involve any of this. Let us remember that uh, uh, being in connection with you without our own limitations, like Jim or like Rick, or like Mama Joe, or like the Apostle Paul uh, have now, is the ultimate, and we're guaranteed that because of your grace through faith in Christ. Uh, and then we pray, Father, to give us the grace to be able to rest in you even when we're hurting our most and bleeding from the soul our most, uh, and just let us realize that, just how temporary and how fragile life is now, and make it uh make let that make heaven just that much sweeter uh, as we anticipate it and rest in that, uh as you tell us so often in the scripture. Uh, I pray your grace will be glorified as we do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.